Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This is me, your host, Vanj, and today I'm joined by the host of the On The Line podcast. It is the one and only Jack Edward. How are you doing, my friend, Jack? Good. Very well, thank you, Vanj. Great to see you. It's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke to each other, so keen to catch up with you. And it's been a great week of tennis, actually, so I'm very keen to, to break it down. Great, let's dive into it. Yeah, I'm always uh, excited to hear what you have to say. Uh, but we can start with Stuttgart. Obviously, it's loaded there like it is for most of the WTA 500s and nine of the top 10 were playing uh, and uh, really the question mark for me was where does Igor Fiontek stand really in the pecking order coming into this week uh, because you know obviously she's coming back from injury hadn't played in over a month uh, there were a lot of question marks particularly hard against the bigger headers uh, on a hard court and so this was a great week for her to sort of reassert her dominance uh, on clay and really separate herself from the field like she did once again, because I thought Sabalenka actually played a pretty decent match. For the most part, it was, there was not much in it. You know, one break in both sets. Um, and the last time these two played was at the WTA Finals, where obviously Sabalenka was able to get the win. Um, but in this match, I mean, Iga only faced one break point the entire match. And that was that was in the second set, you know, when she already had a break. And the, the break point, the, the point that she plays... Just set up break point in the first set. Absolutely amazing stuff. Chases down this overhead smash, gets back into the point, and just dictates from there. It was such a such a phenomenal demonstration of what makes Iga Shriantek so good. Uh, but yeah. what did you think of the, of the final overall, the level from both players? Yeah, that point in particular, fantastic defense. I almost wasn't surprised when Sabalenka netted the overhead. Just the speed that Iga was moving around the court was phenomenal. That was, honestly, that was one of the best performances I've seen from Iga this year. If not the best performance. Because I thought Sabalenka was fine. There wasn't too much wrong for game. Maybe a couple of errors you can point to on this serve on big points. But overall, she was hitting the ball just as well as she was against any other opponent. It's just the way that Iga is, A, able to cover her forehand or defend her forehand better than she could on hard courts earlier in the season. There's just no rush in that side. When you play on clay, it comes back heavier, it comes back deeper, it comes back weightier. And uh, the way she moved, of course, you know, it's second nature to her on the surface and she made it look so easy. The way she can slide out to, to return serves that other opponents wouldn't have got a racket to. Easily just getting them deep every single time. I was in love with Iga's game in that match. And it's, it bodes so well for the French Open. So I think we all want to see peak Iga for the French. And if somebody can get close to her, great. But... The way she played there, I, you know, I'm struggling to think of a second best competitor over Sabalenka on clay. Yes, 
Stuttgart might have boosted her serve a little bit compared to the French, but the weight of shots she has nowadays, you know, we're talking about that with her biomechanics trainer, Gavin McMillan, the weight of shots she puts on her forehand in particular is better than she used to have on that side, and it should make her a stronger competitor on clay going forward. So if, I mean, Sabalik could tweak a couple of things, you're going to get a blockbuster match if Iga and uh, Arena do play the French Open. That's the exciting part for me. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the movement because to me, that's where Iga separates herself even from Sabalenka. Rybakina, I think, is not quite there yet on clay. You know, I'd like to see, you know, I know she beats Serena and she's she obviously has won her title. She has some pedigree and her quick strike tennis work better. But for the most part, I've seen it work very well on grass and hard courts. I'll be interested to see how, you know, when she's healthy because she, she had to pull up injured here in this tournament. If we can get a match between Iga and Rubakina as well. And we can we can sort of see where where they're at, but I agree with you about Sabalenka. I'm struggling to come up with a number two as well. I would think uh, I'd be excited to see Krajikova against Fiontech because um, and you know I'd have also wanted to see Jabor, but unfortunately uh, Jabor is not healthy. She's pulled out of Madrid with that calf injury, and that was a bit sad because she had just come across uh, you know come from a really good round of form, particularly when he helps and then you know really kind of has the the game and a few tools that could maybe maybe disrupt Iga a little bit but yeah uh, but yeah I mean you're right about Iga's to me it's like her superior footwork the little steps that she takes to get around the ball the sliding the the balance that she's able to maintain you know on the stretch and yeah. she's able to just get around the ball as well and she doesn't need to run around her backhand because her backhand is absolutely amazing I mean it is the technique on it is awesome, and you know I particularly find it a very pleasing stroke to watch to the yeah. eye as well because there's very simple motion. There's not a big take back. It's it blunts yeah. pace very well. She's able to just get down on the ball as well as hit it on the rise. It's, it's such a good shot, and yeah, you know she did such a good job of just uh, giving herself time both to, on the forehand and, and on the backhand, and just rushing Sabalenka really into into yeah. you know shots that she might not want to go for and. Yeah, I mean, and for the most part, Sabalenka actually played very well. That was kind of my main takeaway because the whole week, I mean, Sabalenka was just destroying good good players. I mean, yeah. she, particularly Krejcikova and Potapova. Three and two, right? And then two and one against Potapova. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and now she's really figured out Krejcikova because, you know, when they played in Miami and now here, it was fairly the same scoreline, so. Yeah, the Miami match was insane. To be fair, it's a different story in Stuttgart. It wasn't quite the same serving performance as Miami. But yeah, still just dominating that uh, rap, that um, matchup when maybe she found it a little bit tougher in the past. The, the closing note I'd have on Iga, by the way, talking about footwork and stuff and her ability to give herself time. If you ever need a clinic on how to mop up short balls, watch Iga flaunt it. Because I'd love to know how many times she lost the point moving past the service line because she's just, she is immense from there she is immense it doesn't matter where you get the ball low to her backhand high on the forehand whatever she will do just enough to make it incredibly uncomfortable for the opponent I, I, I honestly think she is the best in the world at the moment at being clinical on those short balls our net play obviously is a little to be desired but on the first strike amazing so good yeah amazing and she has a very extreme grip on the forehand right I mean it's a it's sort of a western grip that uh, you know you know, might prone itself to being a bit rushed, particularly on the fast surfaces, but she just rips it. Uh, and it's like, and she's able to rip it because of her awesome footwork. She's able to set up those little steps and then just, you know, absolutely pummel every single forehand 
with with a certain heaviness to it. And it, it feels like every single ground stroke has a purpose. When she plays on clay, it's just, yeah, there's just some players who are naturally suited to that surface. You know, think Rafa, I think Casper Rude, for example. And that really just, yeah. How, how one hot take has just come to mind, actually. There is a small chance that Stuttgart actually might have benefited Schontek a little on serve. So the first serves to the body came through quick. They didn't allow Sabalenka to get on the front foot on return where she might have been able to on a slower surface. There is, and that's how people have been beating Iga a lot of the time, right? You no, know, they rush the forehand off the first ball because they've had time to set up their returns. You know, obviously you could point to the second serve, but to be fair on clear, it's very hard to read. The first serve has been attackable in the past as well. We saw that with Garcia last year, right, in, in Poland. So maybe there's a few gaps still there and we're yet to see that on a true clay surface, if that makes sense. I'm probably being harsh, though. The rest of our game was great, Vance, but it's one point I, I will be watching out for when we go forward. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point because I think I think her serve gets sometimes neutralized on the faster courts. Uh, but on a court like Stuttgart where it's fast but she has clay underneath her, you, you, you feel like it's that much harder to rush her on the first shot. And uh, her second serve effectiveness, people remark a lot about that, but I think for me it's in a lot of those matches, it was also her first serve not doing enough, forcing her to hit more second serves, and she was winning about the same number of points on her first serve as she was on her second serve, and you you don't want that. You want there to be a, a much bigger gap, particularly, I think, in the Rebakina match. She won 57% of points on first serve and on second serve. Second serve number's great, but first serve? No, you got to be doing... You know, Rebakina was at like 80%, and that's kind of what flipped the match. And, um, you know, Shvantek... There, there was one match that she played this week. I mean, Pliskova came out absolutely guns blazing and was up double break in the first set and managed to win the first set. But you could just tell, I mean, uh, you, you know, the heaviness of Frontex ball once it just clicked into gear. It was too much for, for a first strike linear power player like Pliskova. And so, um, but but yeah, I, I mean, and another takeaway for me for Stuttgart just before we move on was uh, Paulo Bedosa. As um, Paulo Bedosa has now been playing some very good matches and close, her level is really starting to get much better. Um, hasn't lost to a player ranked outside the top 13 this year. And Dude. her last two losses, because her draws have been very difficult. You know, she's been, she's fallen off, she's around 30 in the world, but if she beats one, in, one of these seated players and gets back in the mix, she's going to she's gonna be back in the top 10, I think, because uh, I just think the confidence is back. She's playing a lot, a lot better. I mean, she couldn't close out those matches particularly this week, 6-4-4-2 up against Sabalenka, but I think played very well for the most part, even when even in the third set when she lost the second. Um, and then and then those two losses against Rubakina, extremely tight in New Wells and Miami. So very encouraged about, about her going forward in this play season. She has pretty much nothing to defend until San Jose, I think, where she made the semis. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a fair point, fair point match. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, yeah. So, Krachikova and Bedosa, I kind of look at. We got to see where where they're uh, where they're going to be right at the French Open because they could be real threats. But yeah, the uh, I mean, Bedosa will likely she'll make a seeding right. Um, so you know she won't be a total dark horse. But you're right. I think people underrate Bedosa. The weight of her ball is incredibly difficult to get back if you can't generate your own pace. Could see a quarter finals run for or something like that, maybe. Yeah, that would. That would do well for her confidence, and I could see that uh, pushing her much forward in the second half of the year, where particularly last year it was it was not not what she would have won. But uh, yeah, I think that 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 sort of about does it on 
uh, Stuttgart, I think. We can move on to the men's side and talk about Barcelona, where uh, that also felt very much, you know, if you'd asked me before the tournament, is there anyone who's going to win besides Alcaraz? Potentially Sitsipas if things fall in his way. Maybe Yarek Sinner and Kasper Ruud. And we sort of ended up getting pretty much mostly the players you would have wanted in the second half of the uh, of the tournament. And I think 15 of the 16 seeds made the fourth round. So it was a good showing for a lot of the top players. But Alcaraz once again really showing he's a step, up, step above the rest of this field. And at this moment, right now, Jack, I make him the favorite for Roland Garros. Just given the doubts surrounding Djokovic and Nadal, I don't think there's much evidence for any other player to be the favorite right now. What say you? I think I'd agree with that, Vance, particularly after the Sitsipas demolishing. It's not just exclusive to Sitsipas, that sort of insane play. You know, that that would work against pretty much anybody. I think on to maybe Bark, Novak and Rafa. You know, he'd still have a few question marks, but you've got to make him the heavy favourite against anybody on tour playing like that, right? I mean, it was insanely good, particularly how, again, I always talk about this with Alcaraz. For me, I'm always so impressed with his awareness of what shot to play when. He just knows. He has, like, a sixth sense about it. He knows when Sitsipas is going to jump back throughout shot time. I mean, the amount of time he gives himself to change the grip from forehand grip to, to drop shot grip, chopper grip, whatever, is maddening. I really wish I could do that. It's, it's an amazing skill. But anyway, my point is his awareness, and this is perfect for court craft on a clay court, is next level. And it's better than anybody else for me right now at the moment, I think. Because he just knew when to play the right shots. Three and four was honestly quite kind to set the pass in the end. It was an absolute clinic match. And I'd agree with you on the favourite for Roland Garros. Yeah, completely. I mean, anybody who watched that match would just be, you know, and, and more or less him the whole week, but really the last two matches against Evans and Sitsipas where he was just toying with his opponents. I mean, against Sitsipas, I mean, we talked about it before we started recording, but 10 plus winners on the drop shot on both the forehand and the backhand. And it's just, it was just mind-blowing. And it's the way that he, uh, you know, plasters you behind the baseline and then you're just left absolutely squandered with a shorter ball in the middle of the court. Sitsipas talked about this at the, in his post-match press conference that, you know, he absolutely needs to hit, a, hit, hit it a lot deeper. He recognized that, but he knows it's extremely difficult because of how how far back he's pushed back, particularly in the back-end order where he's just locked in. And we know he gives up a massive chasm of ground, particularly, you know, to the forehand. And against most guys, you know, his athleticism is elite enough that he can get right back into the point and he can hit heavy enough and a lot of people comment that his ball is pretty heavy on clay. Now when he's playing Alcaraz, then he gets totally outmatched, particularly on the on the serve plus one, and also just in rally, you felt like there was no way through. The pass was having to do way too much on his forehand, you know, particularly to finish points or to get any sort of opening, get Alcaraz on the stretch. And even from there, he was, he came out second best. And, you know, he was up a break in the first set. And that was mostly due to Alcaraz playing a somewhat of a poor game, I would say. Definitely, yeah. And rather than, you know, Sitsipas really finding himself in in the final, because really after that, he was pretty one-way traffic, I would say. And it's it's kind of notable as we talk about Alcaraz coming up that, you know, he's now won three finals against Medvedev, Sitsipas, and Sparrow, and he's barely lost games against these three guys. Okay, you could say yeah. different conditions. You know, we could say, okay, maybe Sitsipas is not at his very best yet. You know, potentially coming back from the elbow stuff, and it was in Miami, maybe, but maybe he would have been made it a little closer had you know had he 
had such a cause of let's say twenty twenty one showed up, but I you know I highly doubt he would have won either way. And then you know you have this Zverev match in Madrid where he absolutely took him apart with drop shots, and then you have the Medvedev match, albeit in conditions where you know Medvedev, uh, you would expect Medvedev to come to come on the losing side, of course. But yeah. nonetheless, these score lines are are really something, aren't they? They are honestly, they're mad. One very quick sidebar, and I'm getting ahead of myself. We can get back on tracking very quickly. But Alcaraz's chances at Wimbledon, for me now, okay, there's a couple of things missing in the serve that I would like if he was going to be the outright favourite. Obviously, he's never going to be the outright favourite over Novak at this stage in his career. But for me, he's right up there, maybe second best, just because of his ability to get forward at the right times. He knows exactly when his opponent's changed his grip for a slice. He knows exactly when to do serving volleys. He's better at coming forward than anyone else in his generation or, you know, the previous generation, I guess. And for me, that can make a massive difference at Wimbledon. You know, you win the majority of the points coming forward if you're a good mover. Statistically, anybody who's come forward at Wimbledon will win a pretty high percentage more points at the net than they would at the baseline if they're brave enough to come forward. It's just about the frequency of when they come forward, basically. But my point is, if you can come forward you've got a pretty healthy amount of points to be won there, and that will make a difference when Alcaraz plays this year. He was still a little bit of an unfinished crawl-up last year, didn't return so well, remember that match against Sinner? But he still made the fourth round. I can see him going pretty far this year. Yeah, and it's important to remember his preparations were cut short last year, of course, because, um, you know, had to pull out of Queens, had a little bit of an elbow injury, was wearing a compression sleeve, uh, you know, kind of bit dodgy in the first round, got lucky to win against Struff, and then never really, uh, you know, you know, Sinner was able to just rush him, and he didn't look as comfortable moving side to side, uh, because obviously it's very different movement from the clay, where, you know, you're changing directions, and you're, you're, you're sliding into shots versus on grass, where it's, you know, a little bit more of the lighter footwork, and it's, uh, yeah, you have to be a little bit defter with your, with the way you move, but I think uh, Alcaraz is going to get that experience for sure this year. And he's going to be. There's so many things that work well, and is that you know you'd love to see him on grass because he he loves to hit from a lower contact point, and the low bounce doesn't really bother him as much as it would for a lot of the other guys. Uh, you know, he can obviously generate insane amount of pace from from really any position, but particularly on his forehand, when he has to generate pace and and then recognize when to come forward. I can see that working really well for him, especially yeah, even. Even the serving, you know, if he can get the body serve right and he can get those miles per hour up, he'll still have some easy plus ones even on a grass court. So I think uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see because particularly the one thing I'm maybe the only thing that I'm concerned about for Alcaraz is those little niggles and injuries that he sustains in two or three week deep stretches into tournaments where it's just a freak thing. You know, a lot of the times it's like st- stretching for a second serve return like it was against center in Miami and just kind of that split second, you know, hurting your body or doing something a bit frantic. And it's a very much in the moment reaction. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, and, you know, and we know Alcaraz is going to chase down every single shot, you know, because he's a human highlight reel and he's going to get every single ball back that most humans on the planet can't. And even if he can't get it, because he's he's only human at the end of the day. It's so boring. But there was one against Sitsipas, wasn't there, where yeah. the ball got put back into play with a Sitsipas ball. He Sitsipas fist pumped. I mean, Alcaraz was like an inch away from getting it. It was very close to put it back into play. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, he's going to run for a lot of those shots. And, you know, if he's down in love 40 or he's up 40 loves, you know, maybe I would say, okay, you know, maybe you don't need to chase that. But, 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 you know, I don't want to mess with that psychology because he, you know, that's what makes him such a great player and electrifying. And, you know, you don't, you know, I guess if he stopped running for those, maybe Damien pointed out, he'd be a less exciting player. Yeah, but absolutely. But, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, like maybe that would be my only concern deep into Madrid, deep into Rome. Let's see how he pulls up physically. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd love to see a match between him and Runa now. I think that's going to be yeah. a- very exciting with Runa having defended his title with them only having played basically once if you take out next gen finals in Paris Masters yeah. and even then but that ends in a retirement yes it like... ends in a retirement so and uh, yeah because these two guys have something special you know in terms of their complete package let's say you know they're they're uh, in, in terms of how they build points and they're both highly explosive so I think it's the, the, both, the fact that both of them possess an insane ability to um, have it with them. They've got their all core game for starters, so that's obviously going to be incredibly exciting. But the fact they defend so well, the two of them, I mean, Rune is an amazing defender, and I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of what he can do, in terms of movement and defence. Honestly, I think he could be, he could just keep getting better. It comes a second in nature to him. So I think we'll see amazing rallies, amazing shot making from, from both players if they could do play, which would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, we transition into Munich, where um, Ruda ends up defending his title, albeit a very, very dramatic final between him and Bodig van der Zandt, repeat of last year. But really, the story of this match has to be Bodig not getting the job done at the end, unfortunately. You know, 5-2, 40-15 up in the third set, serve 43 times, 6-5, 40-15 up, again, mm-hmm. a third time. And just got extremely tight it's you know in and you know if you're a recreational player you play at any sort of level you're an amateur you're a pro you're playing ITS whatever it might be we've all been there we've all done that we've all lost leads like that and it's how you respond from those leads and how you pick yourself up and this is going to be a really really difficult loss for Bodic particularly because he was on his serve and he had done so well to get himself up up to that point Runa was struggling physically with his shoulder as well as his ankle um, some people were saying, you know, maybe he exaggerated his shoulder injury and, you know, he did it on purpose to take whatever your opinion is on that. The reality is, you know, something was definitely bothering him. He wasn't moving as well as he was for the rest of the match. And he couldn't hit a forehand for a good four or five games. And yeah. Botek, when you're not thinking clearly, you know, under pressure, he was directing most of the traffic to Ruda's backhand. And yeah. that 
did not that was not a good combination because Runa had so many options on his backhand. He could go with the down the line drop shot. He could he could just attack because Botek's forehands were sitting up middle of the court. Uh, right in Runa's strike zone and he was spinning in for serves and I want to say generously at 80 miles per hour because yeah I mean at the end of the day Raj that, yeah obviously there was something tactically going on firstly you're right it's so hard to pull him apart from that obviously you know under pressure you're going to be doing anything just to win the match secondly he did get himself in a position to win the match right yes. but it, it, was, it was him it was Botic that let that match go rather than Runa Runa did have the job of getting the ball back in play, asking the question enough times, and Bosic did not respond well. It was it was grim to watch, and it is one of the toughest watches I've had of an ATP final in recent years. Because I, I I was cringing. I really like Bosic Van Tzan shop. I want him to win his first title, so that was very very tough. Yes, I found myself just rooting for him in that moment, just because of how close he had come, and. Uh, um... Yeah, I mean, Ruda played one spectacular championship point save, and that was with the backhand volley in, in the open court, and he set it up really nicely and recognized what was going forward, a bit like Alcaraz does a lot of the time. So that was, uh, yeah, and then once it came down to the tiebreak, he was absolutely tough as nails. But, uh, man, I mean, that that would have been a very different narrative as well as had Ruda lost that final. Um, yeah, absolutely. He did, honestly, to be fair, he did a good... All credit to Runa, I've got to say, because he is mentally under pressure. He's he's a great player. It is looking like the one Achilles heel of his game does seem to be fitness and endurance, I guess, you know, because this has been two finals in a row where we've seen his body start to break down, albeit over the course of two weeks. You know, he's played like 11-odd matches or so, so it's pretty excusable, I guess. But, I mean, if he wants to progress, if he wants to be playing... And reaching the heights of you know Novak and Rafa on this surface, then he's certainly got to he's got to up his game in that department for sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, because yeah, when the physical side goes, your shot selection also goes, and you're having to play way out of your comfort zone. And uh, it'll be interesting to watch, particularly best of life. But with Bruno, how does he out yeah. back home, particularly long match? Because those are those question marks do still exist with the Acapulco cramping as well as. Fatigue at the end of Monte Carlo and this week. You're absolutely right. Yes, that that's why it's tough to it's tough to put Runa right up there because just in terms of in isolation of the quality of match he can play, you know, I would I would have to put him like top two, I guess, just because I I would put him second because Rafa and Novak have still got too many question marks over them. I am expecting Novak to come back actually, so I'll say I'll say third for Runa, but. The, the fact that I don't know if he'll last the whole tournament really, really makes me feel doubtful. We didn't see him break down last year when he was arguably in less of a fit state. Right, he just lost to a better player on the day and and rude. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's very tough. Fash, it's tough for me to back him, and it'll be very interesting to see if he can bring a performance for two weeks that gets him far of the tournament. Yep, and with Madrid and Rome, we should get more data points, particularly with Rome. Um. Leading into the French, but uh, yeah, I mean, and also a good win for Christopher O'Connell in that tournament as well, knocking out his very, you know, he's particularly an exciting player to watch, just with his variety he brings to the court, and he's got really good court craft, love his backhand, uh, so doing clay court, does a lot of damage, and with the facts, man, it kicks, it, it is heavy. Yeah, it is, it's a really heavy shot, and he's a little bit old school as well, likes to come forward, and 
Yeah, he's a he's a guy who really troubled Medvedev in the Rotterdam Dubai Doha stretch, pushed him harder than any other player. So, to me, it wasn't a surprise that he pushed Zverev all the way, but it was it was a great effort for him to get the job done in the end, particularly yeah. on a on a court that Zverev really likes. So that was that was impressive to watch. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that's about it for Munich. Uh, going back to Barcelona, obviously had a great week for Musetti, and our our personal fan favorite. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. We say that after having watched him live. Absolutely. Absolutely. To win two matches, pushed Alcaraz harder than anyone else in Barcelona. Um, had had some chances in both sets, but uh, it was very entertaining. And I had that one circled right before the draw came out. Uh, or right when, as soon as the draw came out, before the tournament started, I had that one circled. as like, okay, potential ADF Alcaraz quarterfinal. And it, it didn't disappoint for the most part. So that one's... Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, very excited to see if he can do anything in Rome. I'm, I'm not expecting much from Madrid, but who knows? You know, he, he's yeah. he's an absolute gladiator on the surface, and uh, his serve does carry a bit of pop in the decent case, as we learned it in the Wales, right? You know, maybe a few well directed body serves could actually fare him well in a few of his matches. I do think Rome, though, is the place to to watch him, where he could actually make a little bit of a run if the if the draw goes okay. I believe. He would be outside of seedings. He will be outside of seedings. In fact, definitely. I'm thinking of 32 seeds. There are, of course, only 16 in Masters, so it would be tough for him to to avoid a tough draw. But I'm not saying I'm never saying never. Bunch after watching him live, I just you know my my hype for ADF is through the roof at the moment. <laughs> so I re- I that Alpha's performance was great. That totally makes me think he could do it. So yeah, I'm 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 holding my breath for an ADF deep run this closer. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll see because if he doesn't get himself seated, he's an absolute dark horse. Um, and I don't think many players would want to face him on a slow clean court in general. No, of course, of course. Who did he? Who did he lose to last year? Was it Zverev, maybe, or trying to remember that in the French? Sorry, in French. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, he beat Rude and a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, last year he. I, I you know, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but he really didn't do very well apart from Monte Carlo. Um, and a fourth round run at the US Open. So he has a lot of points to gain. But yeah, it wasn't enough for him. I, the rude one comes to mind now. Sorry, a little sidebar. But I remember him underarm serving on match point against Rude. Or maybe it was like Juice or something. But it was an absolutely audacious thing to do an underarm serve. Just more of the amazingness you can catch of ADF. Just you don't know what's coming next. You play stuff you'll never see him play. Go watch him live. As if I've said it enough now after watching him. Go watch him live if you get the opportunity. Yes. And yeah, just looked it up. He lost to Talon Greek Sport in the first round after winning the first set. So, Right, okay. Not the best then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, so yeah, but, you know, Barcelona, Munich, and then obviously we closed shop up in Bosnia. Um, yes. With uh, with all the Serbians and particularly headlined with, with Djokovic, of course. Going out in the quarterfinals to do Sandlajevic, who ended up winning the whole thing. So, full credit to him. He's another player who you, you know you watch him on a slow clay court, and you you realize just the full repertoire that he has. Uh, I mean, he has such easy power uh, on a slow clay court. He's able to generate it so easily. Particularly his pick serve uh, on the ad side, his his forehand, his touch at the net, his uh, when he when he really plays. I think a lot of the time for him, it's about nerve management and yeah. just draining in the margins. And once he does that on clay, uh, particularly slow clay, he's a, he's an absolute nightmare to, to play against. 
Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of those players that's not going to have to go to the Sit Sebast single-handed backhand academy as Ash and Sebastian did. No, it's it's one of his best shots and he's absolutely. And particularly when he plays the big guys on clay, he he really feels very confident because we remember the Monte Carlo run two years ago where he took out team and then Medvedev was playing very well. Uh, and then, you know, he has a lot of big wins. You know, I mentioned on Twitter, he's beaten this is, what is his last match against Rude, Rublev, you know, Djokovic, Medvedev, team. Like it's, you know, pretty much the only slam Del Potro, you know, when he was very good in 2018. So pretty much the only players he hasn't beaten yet are, you know, Vavrinka, Nadal, and Alcaraz. If you're talking about a recent, if you're talking about just active, you know, slam champion. So he has... Yeah, quite the pedigree, I would say, now. And having backed up the Djokovic result is not always easy because he was down against Kachmanovic as well in the semifinals, Kachmanovic yeah. match. And so for him to win that one, come back, and then the performance against Rublev, a little bit surprising that Rublev played this tournament, I must say. Not not very surprising given what we know about Rublev, how much he lost to play yeah. every single week. But Loves a better of him. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, Lajovic, yeah, he, he beat, I think, three-fourths of the entire Serbian... Davis Cup team roster. <laughs> yeah, I suppose he did, right? It was, was it Jera, Djokovic, and Kesmanovic? Is that right? Yeah, Kesmanovic, Krajinovic, actually. Oh, yeah, Krajinovic, of course. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else played Jera that week. Um, yeah, he, beat, he beat Jera, actually, in Rio. So he, he's got the full set. He's undefeated against Serbians this year. <laughs> the number one Serb in the, in the country, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, but I think the story has to be uh, has to be Novak and his health uh, coming out of his defense. Yeah, the elbow thing is a, is a bit of a concern because it's one thing to start out slow like he has done in the past three years and in both his home event as well as Monte Carlo and then sort of pick up form in Madrid and really peak for Roman Roland Garros. Rome, he's made the final 12 times and Roland Garros, of course, he's won, you know, two twice since 2016. So uh, for him, uh, it's, you know, the good thing is that he has a couple of weeks now before Rome and uh, Madrid is not really a place where he's but he really thrives as much for the crowd support, I feel like, and it doesn't suit his game nearly n- nearly as well at, at peak physical condition. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, it's all about the elbow, really, because yeah, uh, it, it is just a little concerning because we know what happened five or six years ago. You know, I think it is. I think it is. I saw Mark Petty saying, you know, no, if, if you're worried about Novak at the moment, then you've not been paying attention the past few de- seasons. Yeah. As a rebuttal, I've been paying such close attention that I mean I've looked at Madrid. He tends to peak for Madrid. He's he's really had you know he get, gets to the semis or whatever, or at least plays a really good match like he played against Alcaraz last year. He tends to be playing pretty well by Madrid. So for him yeah. to pull out a little concerning, I would say. But he obviously is pulling out with one thing in mind, and that is to peak for the French Open. So he probably does know what he's doing. You know he's not showing us apart from a couple of injuries earlier in the year that he is fragile, that he's likely to break down for a Grand Slam if he prepares well enough. So it's unlikely, you know, if he's, it's unlikely he doesn't show up. So it's tough to rule him out. But I, I'm still a little concerned because it's, it's not ages till the French Open bunch. You know, if there is something really niggling at him, then it's going to be pretty tough for him to, I think it's going to be pretty tough for him to come back and take. And he'll want to be there for Rome, course fans, right? Yes. And if Rome doesn't go as well and he doesn't get those matches in because right now he's got four matches, he's two and two hasn't looked like himself in any of those four matches, to be quite honest. So if, you know, and we know a couple of years ago, he skipped Madrid. He got to the final role, lost to Rafa in three sets, and then won his 
Belgrade 2 event the week before the French Open. So it's not ideal yeah. to play the week before, but I don't know if you're Novak, maybe maybe you have to do that. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not certain, but yeah. It's unorth- it's unorthodox even for him, right? But yeah. You know, if, if that's what does it, then fine. I, I still have I still think the percentage chance of him showing up for the French Open is more in his favor than not in his favor. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, for Rafa, it's like 50-50, maybe even under 50. And for Novak, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's more like 75%. I think he'll show up. Yeah, it's getting probably scary for Rafa. Yeah. Um, I, I really yeah. don't know. It's, it hasn't been good. It really hasn't been good, all the stuff that I've heard. About yeah. Is, um, yeah that, I mean, he was, he was supposed to recover in six to eight weeks after that injury against McDonald in the hip. And now he's on 14th week, and now he's getting another treatment. That's a bit scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, oh. Yeah, it's, it's unlikely, and isn't it? But you just never want to say never. Every single time I ruled out Rafa, like the Australian Open last year, and then the French last year with a foot injury after he lost to Chapel. I, I just, yeah, that's why I think you're being, some people might be say, saying you're being kind, going just under 50%, but it's Rafa. You never know. It's just not, it's not looking great. Because you know he's going to want to be close to 100% or 100% if he's playing that tournament just because of the aura that he has there just you know that's the one tournament the most important tournament in his career so um yeah hopefully we get put Novak and Rafa in the field um but but if not I mean yeah Carlos is the B favorite going in and then it'd be very interesting to see who steps up uh from the rest of the field much like Nico on the women's side although not quite not quite as much not quite as much yeah definitely but you never know. I, I want Yannick to step up as well, but yeah. I, I mean, he pulled out of uh, Barcelona this week. Of uh, yeah, good. Then he pulled out of his Masetti match, and um, he's not going to the bit as well team. because. But I think that it's it's an illness rather than an actual physical injury, so I expect right. him to be fully back by Rome. And yep. it'll be interesting to see if we get Alcaraz versus Center in Rome, and we get Alcaraz versus Ruda as a potential semi-final in Madrid. Yeah, that's one one that I'm circling. Of course, a lot of work for both guys to to get there. But um, Alcaraz Center in Rome—that sounds like a dream. That's exactly what I want. But it's a while away, advance, but that would be fantastic. Be Fenchel. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, we got this whole one month of stretch now to look forward to. And yeah, thank you, Jack, for for coming on and recapping the last week with me. A lot of great storylines heading into Paris. Yeah, no worries, Vance. Thoroughly enjoyed it as always. Uh, you know. Whenever you need to step in, give me a, give me a shout. I'll be more than keen to get on. Great, yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. And you can also follow us at Tennis and Beagles Official. You can follow Jack at uh, on the line, on the line uh, underscore Jack on Twitter. Or Jack on Twitter. Perfect. Yeah, and check him out on YouTube as well. And uh, and also, yeah, for for talking tennis, where we both uh, contribute. So, um, yeah. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll see you all soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.